Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue reading through Luke's Gospel with chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you will have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you, that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? You shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. 
And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. This is the word of the Lord. This is a a stretch of fairly familiar texts for us. Uh, as we think of uh, teaching the faith to our children, they especially know these, these scriptures. So let's work through some of this together. First, we have the account of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Remember, we're entering into Jericho from chapter 18, which is 15 miles east of Jerusalem and eight miles north of the Dead Sea. So Jesus is going to pass through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, and we meet Zacchaeus, who is a chief tax collector, so not just any ordinary tax collector, but probably in charge of others too, and he's wealthy. People despise the tax collectors because, well, they take your money and they give it to the government, and who wants that? So there's a lot of hatred for that group, and it's complicated, well, compounded, I should say, by the fact that many of these tax collectors weren't, weren't all that honest. And they would take more than the government required, and so they could keep some for themselves. There's nothing here that indicates Zacchaeus is that kind of a man. But let's read on. So, he can't see because he's small in stature, which is why this is a well-known children's account in Scripture, uh, because he's short like children are short, I think. I think that's what the connection is. He's short and can't see, just like kids have trouble seeing sometimes because they get behind grown-ups. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he, or something like that for the the kid's song. Anyway, that's not the point, right? I mean, the point isn't his height. It was because of his height he went up a tree, but Jesus, Jesus called him down from that tree. Jesus went to Zacchaeus. He went into Zacchaeus' home, which, you know, upset the people around because nobody likes the tax collector, right? They're upset that he's eating with sinners. Nothing much has changed over the last few chapters. Jesus is encountering the same sorts of pride um, and righteous self-righteousness and these different groups of people as he goes through his, his ministry. But Zacchaeus repents, right? He's going to give half his wealth to the poor. That's something that, remember, the rich ruler before couldn't do. And he, if he's defrauded anyone of anything, he's going to restore it fourfold. Exodus 22 is a good connection point there where you hear the, the law of the theocracy. So God is king, theos, God, 
a, a government by God, theocracy. You hear the law there um, that God has set forth for his people as they live together, that if someone were to steal from another, here's how they are supposed to restore it. It's normally supposed to be double. So Zacchaeus perhaps here is offering more going above and beyond the Old Testament law's requirement of him if he should have defrauded anyone. He doesn't say that he did, but if it, if he did, like, right, that's, sometimes we repent that way. Like, I don't know that if I committed a sin, specifically, Lord, forgive me of everything, right? Forgive me all of my sins um, to, cover, to cover it over. And so here he's saying, if I have done this, I will restore it. So nothing more is said, if anybody took him up on that or not. But note Jesus' response. Today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus repented. Repentance requires the Holy Spirit. Zacchaeus has the Spirit. Zacchaeus has faith. He repented of his sin. And Jesus says this is his purpose. He came to seek and to save the lost, and he just saved Zacchaeus. Praise the Lord. The parable of the ten minas is going to line up with the parable of the talents from Matthew's gospel account pretty well. Uh, That's chapter 24 or chapter 25 in Matthew's gospel, somewhere in that region. And you're still in Zacchaeus' house here, right? As they heard these things, notice the context. He tells this parable, and it's a parable about serving God. So here you have this, well, before we jump into that, he tells this parable, it says, because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So the people imagine that Jesus is off to Jerusalem to bring about the kingdom of God right there in their midst. The disciples have this problem. That's why James and John fought over who would get to sit at Jesus' right and left. Uh, they, they tried to take those spots from the other disciples. There is no earthly throne, right? There's no military march here, although the triumphal entry kind of makes a mockery of that. So he tells this parable to teach them to have a different perspective on this. So you have a nobleman, that would be Jesus, who goes into a far country to receive a kingdom. Hmm, Kingdom of God, right? Calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. One is about three months, one mina is about three months pay, just so you have some context there. Said to them, engage in business until I come. So he's leaving, he's entrusting his servants with work to do. This would be the equivalent of the Lord entrusting us as his disciples with work to do in this world, to bear good fruit, to share the good news with others. Some of his citizens hated him, um, sent a delegation after him. That might pair up pretty well with the Pharisees who have been chasing Jesus around. They've come even from Jerusalem to many of the places where he preached and taught and did miracles uh, to oppose him in those places. Yet when he returned and received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to give their account. What had they gained? And he welcomes them into his his kingdom, right? In the first, your mina has made ten more. So, well done, good servant. You have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. So he has this new kingdom that has all this land, all these cities in it, and he's giving them away. He needs somebody to rule them for him. He's the king over it all, but he can't. I shouldn't say can't. This is Jesus. It's a parable. In the parable, the, the ruler can't rule over them all. He's going to enlist help, right? So this servant would take 10. In the sense of paradise, you and I get to rule with Christ, co-reign, co-heirs of Jesus. And this is a blessed gift. Now, 
it does mean, as we see the next guy had, had five, and he gets five cities, this does seem to show us the idea that when Jesus says you should store up for yourselves treasures in heaven rather than things that, you know, moth and rust destroy here on earth, there might be something to that more than just getting to paradise. There might actually be different different lots given to us in paradise, different amounts entrusted to us. If that's the case, so be it, right? We'll rejoice because we're there. We'll rejoice because we were with Jesus. And we won't be jealous if someone has more than us, or we won't be prideful if we have more than another. Um, we will be God's people together. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. He condemns the wicked servant who did not do anything with the mina, but hid it. Um, he did not use the gifts that God gave him. He did nothing for the kingdom. This is an important point, right? The one who claims to be Christian but does not live this life for Christ, but instead lives this life for himself. And Jesus has warned us before, right? Whoever seeks to, to gain this life or save this life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel saves it. These servants... The two, they gave up their whatever they would have been doing to do the master's work, and they, they earned more for him versus the one who kept going about his regular day. It's a contrast there for sure. To the one who has, more will be given. The one who has not, everything he has will be taken away. This is repeated from chapter 8, verse 18 of Luke's gospel. We've seen it before. Uh, in short, the person who has is a reference to faith. If you have faith or don't have faith here, so if you have faith, you will be entrusted with the care of things in God's new creation. If you do not have faith, even what you thought you had here on this earth will be taken away from you. Your goods, your house, your, your clothes, your money, all of that is worthless come the day of judgment. It will be taken away from you. You actually have nothing. That's the picture there. And then those who did not believe in this king, um, but had instead hated him and sought to oppose him, they are judged, as will be those in this life who oppose Christ. Then we get the triumphal entry. So Bethphage is a mile east of Jerusalem, Bethany two miles east of Jerusalem, and they're on the Mount of Olives, called Olivet here. They find the colt of a donkey. They untie it for Jesus to ride on. It's interesting the owners just let him go, right? It's like they have faith too. They trust in this, or at least they're excited about the potential of somebody overthrowing Rome. So maybe they don't necessarily have faith. We can't tell from the text, but they trust in Jesus enough to send the donkey. Uh, and the Lord rides it. And this is a mock military parade. At this time in history and throughout much of history, when a king conquered a place, he would then ride a horse through that city so that everyone in that city knew who he was and that he was their new Lord. Well, here comes Jesus, but instead of on a horse, he's on a baby donkey that's never been ridden before. This does, by the way, fulfill a prophecy from the minor prophet Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. All right, um, so what we want to focus on at the end of that, the, the Pharisees, before we do that, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Psalm 118, verse 26, where that language comes from. They're praising God with this. The people, they're going to struggle in the next few days during Holy Week, but for now, they're excited. They believe this is their Messiah who has come to save them. The Pharisees, 
catch that. And they say, teacher, rebuke your disciples. They, they don't want him called Messiah. They don't want him called the Son of God, as the people are really doing here. And Jesus' response, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. This moment matters, right? This moment matters so much that even creation would tell the story if we would fail. Couple of things on that. First, why is Jesus there? Like, ask your children that. Why is he riding into Jerusalem? What's this about? Well, he's riding there to die on the cross to forgive our sins and save us. And the second is, there's a lot of stuff in Scripture. Well, maybe I shouldn't say a lot. There are a few places in Scripture where we do hear things like this. Um, Jesus, at one point, says that, that God could raise up children for Abraham from the stones. Um, there, Romans 1 is the point that I would go to as a parallel to this, though, that there is enough of God in his creation. There's enough of God in his creation that no one is without excuse. God has written himself into his very creation, his artistic design, his creativity, who he is, what he does. Um, that's a good spot to go with this. Um, Romans, I think it's Romans 8, where Paul talks about how all of creation is groaning up until that moment, waiting for the restoration of its caretakers, uh, the restoration of men. You have Old Testament spots like in the prophet Isaiah or in the Psalms, where you can see even creation crying out, um, celebrating, or being called upon to witness against man for man's sins. So this is not unusual language for Scripture. Then we get to Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. And this is, well, this is Jesus mourning them and the death that is coming upon them. In 70 AD, the Roman army is going to come around the city of Jerusalem, surround it, besiege it, and destroy it, lay it waste, destroy the temple and everything in there. Um, it's a disaster. Many people killed. It's a massacre in that regard. And this is what he's talking about. The enemies will barricade you, they'll hem you in on every side, they'll tear you to the ground, and your children with you. Not one stone left upon another at the time of your visitation. Then he goes into the temple. He drives out those who have made his father's house a den of robbers. Isaiah 56 verse 7 is the quotation there from the Old Testament. The idea that God's house is a place of prayer, right? We should go to the Lord's house to worship, to to receive God's gifts. That would be true even today. And they had turned it into a marketplace and not a fair one at that. There are still churches uh, who think this through as they consider whether they should allow like a bake sale in the church narthex or something like that. Um, not to say that the, the ladies doing the bake sale at your church are trying to swindle people, but people do view that still with caution. And because of a text like this, don't believe anything should be sold in the gathering of God's people. And you know that's a fair point as you consider the text. Now, also then it ends with Jesus teaching in the temple every day. And that even though the leaders of the people, so you've got the chief priests, the scribes, the principal men of the people, so those who we should expect would trust in the Messiah above all the others, right? I mean, you expect your pastor to believe in Christ. You expect him to have a strong faith. Here we expect these to believe in God and to know his word, and yet they oppose the very Son of God in the flesh to the point where they're seeking to kill him. 
but they couldn't figure out how because the people are hanging on to his every word. And that's where the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, selling out the location of Jesus, where he's going to be away from the crowds, becomes so crucial in that that whole, well, deceit, that falling apart of things as the Son of Man is betrayed. So we'll talk about that more. We're entering Holy Week in our time together in Luke. Let us praise the Lord. 